Welcome to Midwifery Matters. My name is Tisa Lubasti Haven, and I am an LMCPM in the state of California. I want to talk to you guys about becoming an LMCPM and the clinical requirements. I get this question a lot from student midwives. I get this question a lot from other providers and practitioners. And there seems to be a lot of confusion about what LMCPMs can do and how you become an LMCPM and what the clinical requirements are for practice and certification. So demystifying, demuddying, and clarifying some of those things on today's podcast. Buckle up and I hope you enjoy the ride. I am currently on my way to go and assess a client who reported a possible suspected rupture. So I'm recording this from my car as I do with many of these podcasts. Uh, So if you are bothered by the background noise, I apologize. So becoming an LMCPM in this country, in the state of California, I'm gonna use that as my model because that's what I know. CPM laws vary from state to state, and pathways to becoming a CPM generally are the same, Um, but there was a process called the PEP process. It was called the Portfolio Evaluation Process. It's being phased out, and I believe that now if you want to become a CPM, you have to go to a MEEK accredited midwifery school and get your degree in midwifery and then you are eligible to sit for the NARM exam. The NARM exam is an eight-hour board exam. I think it was six, and now it's closer to eight because they allowed for some time compensations. Um, That ensures that you pass, you meet basic direct entry competency for safe midwifery practice. A MEEK accredited midwifery school is a school accredited by the Midwifery Education Accreditation Council that ensures when you graduate with a degree from a MEEK school, you meet basic competency for midwifery practice in the community setting. Most MEEK schools offer bachelor's degrees. There are a couple, well, there's one actually, there's one, no, there are two, two MEEK schools that offer associate's degrees uh, similar to the credit load of an ADN it's not a nursing degree, it's a midwifery degree, um, and there are a few schools that offer midwifery master's programs. Um, at a minimum, even the associate's degree program is three years. So regardless of entry pathway, if you want to become a CPM in this country, you have to apply, be accepted to a MEEK midwifery school, and then you do a three-year degree program as well as your clinical requirements. Your degree program focuses on book learning. There are prerequisites that are similar to nursing. However, uh, they vary from state to state also. In the state of California, I had to have nutrition, statistics, human development, math, English, uh, sociology, anthropology, chemistry, anatomy, physiology, and microbiology. 
I'm not sure if those requirements are the same in every state. Also, in the state of California, you're required to have a clinical preceptor before you apply to midwifery school. That was just for my school. I went to the National College of Midwifery. Um, I do believe that other schools help students find placements. My school did not. I had to find my own placements uh, and ensure that I could prove that I had clinical preceptorship available in my own community before it was accepted. So now down to the nitty gritty. The question I get a lot is, when do you start your clinical training and what does that look like for a CPM student? And who trains you and where do you train? So those are lots of questions. Um, as a CPM student, you start in a phase called phase one and those are your observed births. And in phase one, you are not responsible for any clinical management. You're observing births. You have to observe a minimum of 10 births. Um, if you were previously a doula or a birth worker, uh, birth photographer, or you had observed 10 births that were not your own, you could bring those into your schooling with you and they would assess them um, and see if they counted. But you have to get consent from every single family. You need their contact information in case you get audited by the board. Um, so assuming you haven't completed your observed births already, you start out fresh as a baby, brand new midwifery student under the license of your preceptor or you start attending births as a doula to get your observed births. And my school had a requirement that eight of those births occur in the out of hospital community setting that could be at the home or in a birth center. And then two of those births had to occur in the hospital. And so for me, coming into my clinicals, I had a lot of doula births, but I primarily doulaed in the hospital setting. And so I had to get my home birth observes. Um, so I just did those under the preceptorship and um, supervision of my clinical preceptor. And I got those fairly quickly. I think it took me... The volume at the birth center that I started at as a brand new baby student midwife was about eight to ten births a month and we had call rotation so I think it took me two months to get my observes done and or no I think it maybe it was three months to get those eight births because there were also two other students and we were rotating through and we each there were three preceptors, three clinical midwives, um, and then there were two students, and they were ahead of me. So the families had to agree to have the students come to their births because it's a much more personal relationship. It's not like you get who you get. It's sort of like you get who you get who's on call with the midwife, but with the students, you're assigned to a specific midwife, and if that midwife attends a birth or a labor, then you get to go if the client is amenable to having students there. Um, yeah, so anyway. So I did all of my observes, and then once you're done with your observes, you move into developing clinical skills. And so there is a requirement for NARM that you be proficient in all of the NARM required skills. And if you're interested in what those are, 
you can go onto the NARM website, and NARM stands for the North American Registry of Midwives, and they have a candidate information booklet, and then they also have a skills verification form that you can download, and it will walk you through every single skill you're required to be proficient in in order to qualify to sit the exam. And it's a lot of skills, y'all. It's a lot of skills. So you start out as a baby green brand new midwife learning stuff like how to take blood pressure, how to do a urinalysis. Um, you then move into, you know, after once you've mastered like basic vitals, you move into um, palpating Leopold's maneuvers, placental anatomy, ex like describing and explaining nutritional requirements in pregnancy, counseling folks about routine lab work, you learn how to do venipuncture and take blood, you learn how to do IVs. That's typically a more advanced skills, but you're, you're learning how to do things. You're practicing these skills in prenatal appointments and once your preceptor feels that you have mastered those skills, they will sign off on your skills verifications. And when they feel like you're proficient, then you move into your assist phase where you are required to assist the primary midwife administering care in prenatals, in births, in postpartums, in newborn exams, and in reproductive screenings and well-person and well-woman visits. So in those visits, you're learning to do things like pap smears, cytology, you're learning to do things like GBS swabs, you're learning to counsel about GBS, you're learning to counsel about risk factors uh, in the labor and delivery, you're learning to talk about screenings available in prenatals, you're really, you're doing a lot of observing still, but you're also starting to become more involved. You're learning how to drop pitocin, you're learning how to mix antibiotics into an IV, you're learning, I mean, all these things come as you progress in midwifery training. And the newborn vitals are um, really, really really important. So you start learning how to take newborn vitals and you start learning how to count and measure fetal heart tones and assess fetal heart tones. You learn about various different kinds of fetal heart tones. You learn about heart variability. I mean, it's, it's jam-packed. So once you leave your observes, and all schools have different requirements for observes, some allow you to bring them in. And if you have previous experience, uh, they count it as life experience credit. Some don't, some have you just start fresh under your clinical preceptor. Um, but you move through your observes and you have your observes and your preceptor has to sign off on every single observe and or the family who was you were with when you observed the birth has to give their contact information and signature on your clinical verification forms. And then you go into your assist phase. And when you're in your assist phase, you are required at my school to attend a minimum of 20 deliveries, a minimum of 25 prenatals, a minimum of 25 postpartums, 20 newborn exams, and I believe it was 30 well-woman reproductive screening or well-person 
uh, visits. And the reality of that, it sounds like, oh yeah, no, no problem, that's easy to do, but the reality of it is you end up with hundreds of these visits before you are eligible to go into your primaries because in the assist phase, there are requirements for skills verifications and there are a lot of skills, y'all, lots of skills. You've got to learn to do vaginal exams. You've got to learn to assess dilation. You've got to learn to chart, medical charting. You've got to learn terminology. You're also in your didactic book learning program for your degree. So things are pretty fast-paced, jam-packed, you're going to lectures, you got tons of homework, and you're attending, attending clinic. And if you do it sustainably, it could take about a year and a half to move through your assist phase. And that is, I mean, really on the precipice and the edge of sustainability even. Uh, so, you know, I think I came out of my assist phase, I had like close to 300 prenatal visits as an assist. I had less postpartums um, because the focus is obviously on cultivating and developing your skills for management of labor as you move into your primaries and risk screening and prevention in uh, prenatal care. And then when you're in your primaries, you really focus a lot more on newborn and postpartum as well as like management of intrapartum and antepartum and complications um, but I remember in my assist phase like really being schooled pretty hardcore on like hemorrhage management and catheters and vaginal exams and membrane sweeps and fetal heart tones and prenatal prevention of complications and nutrition and all that jazz um, and then also you're learning how to like interface with other providers in the healthcare landscape and do so in a professional way. Um, it's really nerve wracking. It's really tough. And you got to prove you're worth your salt and you got to stay super humble and stay super teachable. And, you know, it feels really dire sometimes. And I had a really, I have a really wonderful mentor. She's still a mentor of mine. I adore her so much. Um, she was like, you know, you get to this point in midwifery education when you are nearing the end of, you're in your last year of school and you get to the eat shit and graduate phase and you just got to keep your nose to the grindstone and keep working and remember why you started because you do forget. It's really rigorous. It is not for the faint of heart. Midwifery education is not for the faint of heart. It is truly a calling. Uh, and I say this not to scare anybody, but there's a lot of administrative work behind the scenes. There's a, it's long, long, long hours. Um, and in community practice, unless you're in a group practice, unless you're a student learning with a sustainable call schedule, you have to be really mindful of your preceptor's birth load because the buck stops with you guys. You guys are the providers. And if there are five women due in a month and you know, you're, preceptor and you and another student or another LM are attending all those labors, there's no telling when those women could go. You could go back to back to back to back to back, or you could go back to back and then to clinic and then to births. And it's really, it's really difficult. Um, sometimes it's challenging and you were sleep deprived and you're functioning in a state of delirium sometimes, which is uh, actually one of the reasons that I made the call to pursue more training so that I would be able to work in a more sustainable way.
and doing the things that I actually really want to be doing. Um, anyway, circling back, so you move through your assist phase, and I came out of school with a lot more assist visits than I thought I would, and then you move into your primaries, and your primaries are typically your third year of your degree program, and you have to meet all those skills proficiencies and verifications for competent practice as a primary under supervision, and that means you are responsible for the care of clients throughout their entire pregnancy, their birth, and their entire postpartum period while being supervised by the clinical preceptor that you were in contract with. So that's a lot of responsibility and it is nerve-wracking. I remember moving into my primaries and being really excited and then I did my first primary visit prenatally and I thought I had no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, oh no, how are you are you sure I'm ready for this? And you know, the resounding response was yes, you're absolutely ready for this. You have everything you need. You just have to learn to cultivate the skill. It's like flexing a muscle and building strength in the muscle. So you just have to practice and you have to do it and repetition will bring the skill. Um, so that's what I did, you know, and as a primary midwife at my school you, um, it's pretty uniform across the board actually for all make schools for primaries, but you do five continuities. So that means you follow five families from start to finish. Um, and you have to have a minimum, I think for your continuities, a minimum of five visits spanning two trimesters. But in reality, you have more, you have, you have closer to like 16 visits if you're following somebody from the beginning to the end. Um, in pregnancy because the way that the CPM structures visits, it's uh, each visit is an hour long and per trimester, I think first trimester you've got four, you got visits every month um, or PRN as needed. And then in second trimester, you're every month to bi-weekly and in third trimester, you're bi-weekly to weekly. And those are all one hour appointments. So that's a lot, you know, it's a lot of appointments. Um, and then you're responsible also for management of the entire labor and birth and the entire postpartum, immediate postpartum and postpartum care and postpartum care with the CPM. Again, one hour visits in which we do maternal and fetal vitals and newborn vitals. Um, we do risk management screening labs, um, all that jazz. You've got your day one where we come to your home day one, about 24 hours after birth, we do metabolic screening for the newborn. If they want it, we give you Rogam. If you're RH negative, uh, we do your vitals, yada, yada, all that jazz, pulse oximetry screening, CCHD screening for the baby, um, for looking for heart defects and um, anomalies. And then we do a day three, which is also an hour long in your own home. Um, we're talking to you about complications, getting a sense of how your perineum's healing. If you had a surgical birth, then we're, or a belly birth, then we're looking at your C-section scar. Um, typically, you'd still be in the hospital if they're, or you'd be discharged depending on hospital policy, but um, we see people mostly discharged on day three with cesareans. Um, so we would be doing your day one and your day three in the hospital that you were delivered at. And then we do a week one, we're assessing, you know, all of these visits, we're looking at lactation and baby's latch and infant feeding, and it's very involved. So there are a lot of skills that go into it and we're, we're hip to hip. That's another term one of my mentors um, uses 
she's also a lactation consultant. Uh, but it's it's really truly hip to hip care. So you get a day one, a day three, a day seven, and then you get a week three and a week six. Um, and if you're still bleeding at your week six visit, then we wait to do your pap because that can throw a pap result. And we would wait until you stop bleeding and then reschedule for your pap. Um, so that's what postpartum care looks like. And in labor as the primary, you're managing everything from start to finish. So if somebody says, I think I broke my water, you go to them or you have them present to the birth center and you go listen and you do a fetal heart strip, you monitor their baby and you would talk to them about risk and vaginal exams. If they're GBS positive, you know, you're talking to them about prophylactic antibiotics and their options for that. You have informed consent documents, so people are reading about the risk and they understand the risks associated with every procedure or um, test that you're offering them. And then they can either accept or decline. Um, so you've got lots of lots of clinical stuff to navigate, um, but then you would, you know, maybe do a vaginal exam and assess them and then counsel them about what typical clinical management looks like and hygiene. And um, if they're not contracting, then you know, you just kind of hang out and monitor them and you make a plan of care. You might leave and then come back if things pick up. Um, you might want to have them go and get a BPP if their fluid seemed kind of low or an ST at triage at a hospital, um, get a consult. Or you might just kind of hang out and wait for contractions to pick up. In my practice, I typically counsel about hygiene we go over risks, we make a clinical care plan for that specific client because everyone is different, um, and then we go from there. Uh, but as a primary, that would be your responsibility, and your midwife, your, your preceptor, would be supervising you the whole time um, and giving you feedback. You would have them to bounce ideas off of, uh, but you're really flexing that management skill, and you're developing that management skill, and you're starting to think like a midwife. So you are using your clinical judgment, um, but you have the training wheels of a far more experienced midwife supervising you and watching everything you do and correcting you if you do something that is not evidence-based or um, is not right or could potentially be endangering a client and their baby. So that's your primary phase, and then you're required outside of your continuities to attend, manage, and um, excuse me, I just burped that chart, 20 deliveries, 20 newborn exams, 30 well-woman, reproductive, well-person visits, and 20 prenatals, I believe. And I came out with a lot more than that. You know, you, you do. You, my assist births, I think I came out with like 50, 40, 45 or 50, somewhere around there, um, and a lot of visits, and then in my in my primaries, I mean, you're really you're really in in a lot of school and a lot. You're dealing with a lot, um, and the responsibility load is a lot heavier. So it can get kind of hectic and crazy. But yeah, that's pretty much it. That's how you come through school clinically, and yeah. Then you study and you get permission once your clinical requirements are all met. You submit all of those numbers um, and documented 
charts and paper, all your paperwork. You record every single birth you attend, every single visit you attend, and your preceptor has to sign it, every single one. And then you submit that all to your school. And if you've met all of your academic requirements, then you're eligible to graduate. And then you're eligible to sit the NARM and then you sit your exam. And if you pass, then they send that to the medical board in your state. And then the medical board acknowledges that they received that and you get your degree and you get your certification and then you get your license. And that's kind of how, how it rolls. Um, and as for who can train CPM students, MDs, CNMs, LMs, CPMs can all train CPM midwifery students in community practice. I hope this was helpful. Have a great day.